is Thrash It Out, a show where we listen to a heavy metal album and then argue about it. I'm Anthony Johnston. And I'm Brian Latendry, and today we are talking about the 2013 debut full-length album from Power Trip, Manifest Decimation. Indeed. And the funny thing here is that their second album, not this one, but uh, what was it called? Nightmare Logic. Uh, Nightmare Logic was one of the albums that listeners recommended to me. Remember when I was asking for recommendations a while ago? Uh, And so I did actually give that album a spin a few times. I ultimately decided it wasn't quite enough for me. You know, I I didn't feel strongly enough about it to suggest it for the show. Uh, But yeah, so I had heard that one, but I hadn't heard this one. I didn't go and listen to any of their other stuff. (laughs) Yeah, well, and that... I think that recommendation came really off of the back of that Executioner's Tax song, which is kind of the the most well-known song off of Nightmare Logic. It was also a song that they were nominated for a Grammy for oh, wow. the live performance of. And I don't know if the live performance is from the live album, which was kind of the last thing that they put out. Uh, it was from a 2018 show in Seattle, I believe. But uh, yeah, that was... I remember people sharing that Executioner's Tax video on our Facebook page and nightmare logic was the album that I kind of was introduced to power trip through, I think from this Facebook group and then going back in and, uh, listening to their other stuff. I, I ended up on this we could talk about why when yeah, we yeah, kind of yeah. jump we'll into it, but yeah, up, it's, yeah. I came in through nightmare logic as well. Cool. Um, so a little bit of follow up. So we have uh, a new patron, uh jeff reeve thank you very much jeff welcome to the community as they welcome um and i need to tell everyone the so the next episode after this will be my pick uh this is your last pick of the volume the next episode will be my last pick of this volume but then there will be another episode after that which will be our third encore episode and that will be the last yeah regular show of this volume of thrashed out unless we do a bonus track and let's, you know, who are we kidding? Of course, we're going to do a bonus track. We always do a bonus track. Um, so remember, Encore episodes are where we revisit a band that we've covered on the show before, but we do a different album by that band because we only cover each band once normally. Uh, and the album is chosen from nominations by our Patreon supporters. So the Patreon poll for that next encore pick i'm going to open that on our patreon page soon uh, and you'll then have a couple of weeks to make your nomination on that thread in patreon uh we do that you know just to make sure that only patrons get to nominate before we'll do that before we record the next episode i'll open it in probably next week as we record this i've got a ridiculously busy week ahead of me there's no point doing it this week but next week i'll open it up so if you're a patron basically keep an eye on your inbox um and that thread will open you can then go there and nominate and then we'll pick the result uh randomly as we record the next episode just a reminder we are looking for encore episodes we're looking for nominations of a different album from a band that we've covered before okay but not on a previous encore episode please so far, right. so far we've done metallica and megadeth we've never done two albums by both of those so not yep. those again please um but any other album by any other band that we've already covered, whether on a main show or a listener poll or even a backstage pass, any other, you know, go for it. Um, uh, but obviously not an album that we've covered before. Yeah, for instance, if you are, if you want us to talk about Twisted Sisters, come out and play. 
you know, which was the follow-up to Stay Hungry. <laughs> that would That's be... That's a good nomination right that there. That would be a hell of a... Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're they did a great cover of Leader of the Pack, you know? Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> oh, man. Um, but yeah, yeah, seriously, any any album by any band that we've covered before, uh, but remember it is specifically for bands that we've covered before not for you know new bands that's what the uh, the regular listener poll is for so as i say that will go live on patreon sometime in the next week or two keep an eye out for it uh and yeah and that'll be fun and that will that will finish off the regular episodes of this volume exciting indeed indeed uh uh and what did we do last episode that was oh we that was the backstage pass Nancy of course it was skunk last and Nancy, episode yeah. uh, with Pinky and they were fantastic and that is an album that I am still listening to. We actually have two shows worth of feedback to take a look at, but since you mentioned uh, last episode, let's start there. Let's start with uh, Skunk sure. and Nancy because as it turns out, I feel like it was a lot of people's introduction to that band. Yeah, I can't say uh, that surprises me. Given that a lot of our listeners are in the states, that yes, doesn't surprise me at all. Yeah. But not all. Uh, you know, Simon said, what an album. Great choice by Pinky Pinkerton. One of my favorite 90s albums. I've been trying to perfect the riff on I Can Dream since I first picked up the electric guitar, and it's still a bit tricky. <laughs> uh, Torin said, oh, excellent. I adore this album. David said, uh, listening now and loving the episode, having seen them live back then, and quite recently, 2019, I think, I can vouch for them being just as good, if not better now. And yes, she can still hit all the notes. I've got tickets to see them next year, and I cannot bloody wait. So, I mean, there was definitely a good amount of Skunk and Nancy love, but there was also, uh, you know, for me, obviously, I mentioned on the show that it was my first time uh, listening to that. And I'm trying to find one. Uh, oh, Phil said, like Brian said, one of the best things about this community is being exposed to bands you've never even heard of. This is a band I'd never heard of, let alone heard anything from. I hear Rage Against the Machine similarities for sure on several tracks. Good album overall, but lyrically, this album gets an 11 out of 10. He said this album is a razor that cuts to the bone from a lyrical standpoint. Just pulls absolutely no punches, and I love it. Thanks, Pinky, for this album. And as usual, these backstage passes are some of my favorites. Excellent. I'm, I'm glad that the black sta- the, 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 the black stage passes. <laughs> Sorry, I was just thinking about the lyrics and uh, intellectualized my blackness came to mind. It was in my mind when I said <laughs> man. Uh, so no, the backstage passes, I'm glad that people are enjoying them because it was a bit of a, you know, obviously people know us, they know our dynamic, you know, we know that people, that's what people enjoy listening to. It's always a bit of a risk when you bring on, you know, listeners or guests or whatever. Um, but I like, I like it because it obviously keeps us on our toes and sort of introduces a bit of variety and you never know what you're going to get, uh, which is always fun. So I'm glad that listeners are enjoying them as well. Yeah. I mean, my favorite thing about that is it would twofold. One is, you know, someone like Pinky, who's been listening to the show since really the beginning. Right. And so before the beginning. (laughs) Yeah. So getting to, to, you know, have them on the show is really great, but also to Phil's point, like getting album recommendations that I either Mm. completely overlooked back in the day, didn't know about back in the day or weren't part of my wheelhouse, really great to be able to dig into something and then be so pleasantly surprised by it. Like, Holy crap, I freaking love this album. So like that was a, it's a win-win in that sense. Yeah, totally. 
Uh, let's see. Todd said, very enjoyable and thought-provoking discussion. Thank you, Pinky, Brian, and Anthony. I only gave the album one listen before hearing the podcast. I can't say whether it will wind up on my long-term playlist after the required three listens, but I'm very interested to dig into the lyrics. First of all, I respect the required three listens comment yeah. <laughs> there. I, I really do. Like if it, That's my thing. Like if, if you give it three good full listens and give it your attention and it's not for you, hey, it's not for you, but at least you kind of gave it its due. Um, so thanks to everyone with their with their comments on that one. And then our prior episode was Fear Factory, that which we didn't Fear do Factory comments episode, yeah. on our Skunk and Nancy episode. So I'll just pull a few quickly from there. That was uh, track 10 of this particular volume. And uh, let's I'll, see. I'll, before While you're looking through them, I'll say I was, and I think I mentioned this on the episode, but I'll reiterate, I was surprised at how popular a choice fear factory was like one of the reasons that I'd put it off for a while was because I just wasn't sure how popular they were anymore. Uh, because as I said at the time, you know, um, when I start, started listening to them with their first couple of albums, there just weren't that many people around me in my immediate sort of, you know, social circles who listened to or liked them. And so I sort of had this obviously erroneous impression that they just, you know, Maybe they were a bit of an acquired taste and weren't all that popular after all, but clearly <laughs> I just needed to widen my circle of friends. <laughs> yeah, because, I feel yeah, like it was Fear a Factory, really popular choice, wasn't it? Yeah, and I definitely feel like they were on the list of bands that people expected us to cover eventually. Um, yeah. Definitely have come True. up a few times in the comments there. Stuart said, so my first reaction to seeing this as homework was, oh, bollocks, as in Fear Factory, don't like them, do I? He said, my first reaction on listening was again, oh, bollocks, but this time it was, I should have been listening to this for the last two and a half decades. <laughs> I formed a mental dislike of Fear Factory based on nothing at all. He said, anyway, absolutely love this album. For me, there was a strong resemblance to Prong, uh, cleansing era, he said in parentheses, at least the first few tracks. The vocals reminded me of Tommy Victor's, as did the drumming. Prong hasn't gotten the speed, uh, hasn't got the speed, but there's something that links the drumming in both albums in my head. He said, the industrial elements are to my taste. As a longtime Godflesh fan, I get more out of them out of the first, uh, I get more of them out of the first Fear Factory album, but I can still hear some influence here. Uh, amusing that the cover of a Justin, Justin Broderick track is the light relief on this album. He said, also yeah. get some resonance with later pitch shifter in some of the vocals. Um, I love yeah, that. which I, I, can, lo- I, I think I commented at the time. I can see that actually. I hadn't thought of that, but I can see that with you know with the pitch shifter comments. Who are a band? I don't know whether we'll ever cover pitch shifter because they kind of they were metal, but they were also very sort of at the trendy industrial end. And I, I don't mean that to disparage them, but it was just kind of their sound was of so of the time. Yeah, that I, I'm just you know, and only a couple of their albums really hit with me. To be perfectly honest because they were all over the shop in terms of, you know, sonically. Um, but yeah, it's an interesting comparison. And yeah, the, the Justin Broderick, for people who don't know, Godflesh, I can't remember if we actually mentioned them now on the, uh, well, I don't know other if than we talking did. about, well, we talked about them in context of the cover, obviously in terms of Dog, Dog Day Sunrise, but yeah, Godflesh are one of the progenitors of industrial metal. Uh, you know, there are some people who'd argue even that they were one of the very first industrial metal bands and Justin Broderick, is known generally for really, really fucking heavy, like punishing, <laughs> screaming industrial stuff. And then, of course, yeah, Dog Day Sunrise is not like that at all. <laughs> so it is quite ironic. 
Uh, Stuart finished by saying he, it was his highlight of the season of this volume, uh, which is pretty cool. Um, Roy said, you guys never cease to amaze me. My only wish is that you someday do an episode about Obsolete, because for me, that was the album that introduced me to Fear Factory. He said, those opening riffs on Shock literally shocked me, and I was jumping up and down in my room because they were an effing banger. <laughs> mosh pit activator which I, I like that uh quote there joe said i agree with brian about some of the vocals on some tracks sounding like type o negative um charles said i like the album mostly agreeing with brian on this one love the weird industrial sung bits and i think the singer being raw and a bit off key is actually a plus listening to this makes me want to dive back into those 90s movie soundtracks i distinctly remember the crow end of days Blair Witch Project, Queen of the Dam, Mortal Kombat, and Blade having great soundtracks that definitely formed my teenage tastes in music. Yeah, there was a bit of a trend in the 90s, wasn't there, for these sort of like metal and crossover uh, soundtrack-related albums. And there some of them were some really, really good. good soundtracks, yeah. yeah. The Judgment Night soundtrack was a classic. Oh, you know? so good. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, The Crow was full of them as well. Some, yeah, some really good stuff there. 90s soundtracks would be a good... Uh, that's a whole separate podcast. You know what? Let's let's <laughs> let, let's talk about that because I I then started uh, thinking about uh, Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, which is another fantastic oh, yeah, soundtrack. Yeah. Uh, great winger track on that one called Battle Stations for all you winger fans out there. Mark your bingo cards. Um, <laughs> David said I got into Fear Factory way back when the first album came out. I hadn't listened to them in a long time, but I got back into them about a year or two ago. I remember listening to this album and thinking, "Wow, I must have loved this album because I remember all of it." It still holds up, except that damn Dog Day Sunrise. That should have been left off, uh, which I know you disagree with, Anthony. Yeah, but I, I also know that that track divides opinion, you know, and it's understandable why. You know, I think it's a necessary, yeah, sort of break uh, in the intensity of the album uh, for contrast, but I know that some people disagree. Uh, Pinky said, on track one in this episode, I had to put down what I was doing and throw myself around. It takes me back a bit. <laughs> Uh, let's see what else we have here. Yeah, I mean, um, I, I said this, I definitely remember saying this on the episode, but I was, it had been a while since I listened to it, and I was amazed at like, oh my God, this is actually really heavy, still really heavy, considering how old it is, uh, you know, and how much production techniques and stuff have come on now. But it's just so intense. Love it. Uh, Kenneth said, really enjoyed the chat, which kind of surprised me, as you might have noticed from my not-so-subtle hints, that I really don't like this album very much. So I was getting out of metal in the early 90s, and to me, thrash was played out and moving over to industrial. I'd been a Godflesh fan for some time, but I'd made a jump to bands like Frontline Assembly and Front 242. Uh, I was the kind of dickhead who would assure people that Nine Inch Nails weren't actually a proper industrial band, so this should have been right in my wheelhouse, but there's just so much wrong with it that I can't get over. He said, the opening drums make me think that we're playing a game of click track or kick drum sound. Uh, he said, and it's pretty impossible to tell. The total lack of bottom end on the album makes it far too tinny for me to enjoy. And when you add in the processing on Burton's voice, it's just a headache. It's just headache inducing. As I've said before, death to 90s drum sound. Uh, <laughs> he said, I was surprised to notice on the first track on the album sounds exactly like Machine Head put through an industrial filter. Uh, to be a bit more positive, the remix album "Fear" is the, uh, on the remix album. "Fear" is the mind killer. Uh, oh, "Fear" is the mind killer is amazing, and it and "Sheep on Drugs" were my gateway into techno. He said also to name drop, I have interviewed both Burton and Dino, who gave me far more time than someone working for the Sunderland Uni Student Newspaper deserved. They were top guys. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, yeah. 
Yeah, the, the Remanufacture is the name of the remix album. Uh, that was another trend that's kind of gone by the wayside now, hasn't it? But yeah, in the 90s, it was... I mean, did they kickstart that trend or were the they just... The remix album? Yeah, you know, well, specifically the sort of, you know, the, the industrial stroke dance remix album of metal artists, uh, you know, as a separate release. Because there were quite a few, it feels like, at that time. Um, Christ, even uh, Linkin Park got in on the action with yep. uh, a remix album of their, was it first or second? can't remember now. Um, yeah, now that I think about it, I'm not sure whether Fear Factory was sort of one of the pioneers of that. I can't remember. That's an interesting rabbit hole for anyone to go down and really uh, connect the dots on there. I feel like, yeah, I mean, I feel like LinkedIn Park uh, was already closer to that. <laughs> like, I don't know that they needed to remix it at all to get to get there. But uh, anyway, you, you haven't heard the remixes. They The remixes are really like, there's almost no guitars on any of those remixes. <laughs> yeah, then that, that, that's probably good that I haven't heard them then. Uh, Daniel said, yes, yes, yes. This is so far up my alley. It's not even funny on why I missed out on Fear Factory for all this time. He said, but I, I now know why I love Demanufactured so much. He said, back in my emo goth alternative phase, I was pretty much into anything industrial uh, Nine Inch Nails being the favorite. And in this time, Strapping Young Lad and Devin Townsend entered my notice. You could hear the massive influence Fear Factory had on Strapping Young Lad and Townsend. Demanufacturer is so raw, angry, harsh, pound your face bloody into the ground that I can't help but fall in love with it. There's very little that I can complain about. From the first track, I instantly became a Fear Factory fan. He said, by the way, Brian, I would love to hijack this conversation and discuss about learning schemas. It's a favorite topic of mine on how to gain skills and knowledge. Well, that's another podcast I'm going to have to start then. Yep. Um, <laughs> although I did, I don't know if I mentioned this on the show, but I did put uh, in my notes an idea for a new segment called What's Your Schema, Adima? Uh, which is, of course, a nod to a band that I saw on OzFest that... Uh, I don't know. I just attribute with some of the worst aspects of that '90s and early 2000s sound. But uh, yeah, about in in the the segment was going to be what are the band songs or albums that are the reference points for you to use to put the album you're listening to in context. So uh, it doesn't have to be its own segment. But uh, to uh, to Daniel's uh, point, there it is. It is there. It's in there. So I mean, as always, great conversations. Yeah, no, uh, yeah, and we've said before the Facebook group is, uh, you know, one of the few sane places on the internet yep. <laughs> where you can go and talk about metal uh, with people who won't immediately try and start a fight with you, which is uh, sadly rare these days. It is rare. I feel like it's uh, we're at the end of like a, a battle royale match where the circle keeps shrinking. You know, like it, <laughs> like it, whether it be Fortnite or Warzone or whatever, where it's like the the places where you can find a uh, you know, an online community that's not completely brutal to be a part of just keeps getting smaller and smaller and smaller. So I'm ever more grateful for the community that we have here. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, remember, if you want to join that community, you can just go to facebook.com slash groups slash thrash it out. Uh, and, uh, and it's because of the way Facebook's changed the way groups works. I don't think you even need to now officially join the group in order to take part. I'm not sure. Um, okay. But if you do, you know, just go ahead and, and click join. We approve people as long as you're not a dick, basically. <laughs> yeah. And I, I will tell you, and I'm sure I'm not the only one here, but th this group is the reason I'm still on Facebook. 
like the the single reason that I'm still on Facebook. Wow. It is the one reason uh, that I that I keep my Facebook account is because this group is awesome. Yeah. I mean, I have to be on there for sort of several professional reasons, but yeah, I know what you're saying. It's it's certainly one of the only places that I voluntarily visit on Facebook anymore. Yep. Uh, yeah, no, good episodes. Good episodes and good feedback, as always. Good chat. Um, and I mean, I suppose that kind of leads us to today's album. Um, it does. It's... Yeah, I mean, we should probably start off talking about the band and say I'd never even heard of them, uh, which I, I, I looked them up when I first looked them up on Wikipedia. It said like they were one of the most successful thrash acts of the 2010s. And I was like, I'd literally never heard of this band. Um, I think I don't know if that's most of their success was in the States, perhaps. I'm not sure. Or maybe I was just, you know, ignorant, <laughs> completely missed them. Um, I think uh, it, it- I think it was, but also like they were not huge on my radar during that time either. But when you look at who they toured with, Ozzy, right, Anthrax, yeah. Exodus, Testament, DRI, Suicidal, Napalm, Death, Lamb of God, uh, Danzig, Opeth, Obituary, like they were, they were on a lot of cards. Uh, oh yeah, during that time for sure. But it's weird that like they formed in two thousand eight. Yep. And they've put out two albums in all that time. So they clearly, and the first one took five years to put out their first album, by which time they had already, you know, amassed a live following by all accounts. So they clearly focused on playing live. You know, that was obviously the the most important thing to them rather than recording albums, um, which is no bad thing. But I think that also maybe contributed to yeah why i as i say until a listener recommended them i'd just never heard of them i assumed they were a new one of these new retro throwback thrash bands um and there are aspects of that in it but clearly that's not that's not the whole story right and they had released uh two eps prior to that debut album they had released uh armageddon blues in 2009 and self-titled power trip in 2011 and so between those uh, releases and singles and, you know, being on compilations and stuff, as well as their live reputation, I think is where yeah. a lot of people who were really, you know, uh, tapped into the scene knew who they were before that debut album came out. I was sure. not one of those people. Um, I definitely was a latecomer to, to Power Trip. And I think, um, you know, obviously starting to talk about the band, you, you have to talk about the fact that in August of last year, uh, vocalist Riley Gale passed away, um, 34 years old. And the, I think in looking at this album and, and kind of reading articles about the band and kind of going back, I mean, it was sad before. I mean, we're not, unfortunately, it is not an irregular occurrence for someone, for a musician to pass away they the cause of death for him was fentanyl um which is a terrifying drug like i I didn't know a lot about i did a little bit more research on fentanyl but um basically it is it's like a hundred times stronger than morphine and 50 times stronger than heroin jesus just to put that in context of like what um how powerful uh that particular drug is but but the thing about Riley Gale is that when you read interviews, and I have a couple of quotes that we can kind of talk about in a few, when you when you read interviews with him and you look at the lyrics uh, to their songs and you really kind of dig into what he was trying to do, 
he was really an activist and you start to get a sense of what we lost because power trip as a band was about to explode. Like they're coming off of their 2017 album nightmare logic. You know, I mentioned the Grammy nomination for the live version of executioner's tax. Like they were poised Mm. for that next album to be the one, you know, that really rocketed this band to the forefront. And I'm sure there's plenty of fans of theirs who were around since the beginning who think they were already there. Uh, And I think critically nightmare logic was considered to be that big step forward from the one that we're going to talk about today, manifest decimation. But I mean, everybody that was talking about them at the time and was talking about, you know, manifest decimation. And then after that album or uh, nightmare logic, and then after that album, like what they were doing next, because they were working on a new album the anticipation for that was this is going to be the one that just absolutely blows up. And so, you know, losing the leader of that band when they were really on the brink of just becoming absolute superstars is brutal enough. But then when you see, you know, what he stood for and what he was trying to do lyrically with their music, you really, it's a whole nother level of like sadness. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll just pull a couple quick uh, quotes here, but in a, in an interview in 2017 um, with vice Riley was saying, I go to war with my lyrics. I'm my biggest critic and I'm constantly self-reflecting and our political climate isn't getting any better. He said on our first seven inch, it was called Armageddon blues. That was a reflection of me seeing the world and accepting that in my lifetime that we were going to see some huge changes and we were moving past a postmodern way of living into some kind of futurism. I became empowered by that. And the other albums all have that theme. He said, Manifest Decimation, which is the one we're going to talk about today, was the same thing. If you open your eyes and you'll see we're being controlled by our government, big pharma, military industrial complex, corporations. If you open your eyes and see that, you'll also see that uh, the common person is still the majority and we can change something. We can have a revolution. And they said, your first album introduce you as a force of change is nightmare logic, a direct continuation of that same message. And he said the first album's title was a play on manifest destiny, which was an excuse to kill native Americans. He said, you know, I said, manifest your own destination, a teardown of a hundred years of social conditioning. A lot of my lyrics are taking subjects and trying to look at them in a different way and seeing different perspectives or different reasons to, to unify each other. A lot of what I try to do tries to be unifying He said, you know, we sit here and bicker about scene politics, and I just see bigger problems that punk as a whole could come together and fight. He said, one of the things I talked about on Manifest Destiny uh, Decimation is incarceration, how we've moved from public torture and executions to the torturing of the soul, putting people in solitary confinement for years on end. There's no room for rehabilitation in this country when it comes to our prison system. It's something that's meant to keep you down, and we need to reform. He said, we haven't ended slavery. It's just under a new name. That's something we can all rally behind and fight for. So I try to bring attention to things that we can get behind. There was another article that talked about how um, there was a Dallas LGBTQ transitional housing center called Dallas Hope Charities that planned to name its new library after Riley Gale. Uh, This is following his passing because uh, he helped raise thousands in donations and invited its volunteers to set up outreach efforts at power trip shows. Um, So they, you know, he, in a lot of those interviews, he talks about, 
being inclusive um lyrically a lot of that stuff is about like obviously tearing down systemic institutions and kind of rebuilding something that um that is more unifying he he said in another interview with quietus you know manifest decimation was the beginning of what i was trying on nightmare logic where it was sometimes that you have to destroy to create and you have to break things down back into their bulk materials to rebuild them again and so manifest decimation was a call to arms to say if you don't like it then let's break it down and rebuild it and so he was uh he was super outspoken they um you know, again, they were kind of poised for stardom. It, obviously, Riley's not the only member of that band. Blake Ibanez on lead guitar, Nick Stewart on rhythm, Chris Wetzel on bass, and Chris Ulsh on drums. But just to see a band that right there and to see, you know, kind of what they were doing and where they were going just yeah. come to such an abrupt turning point. The band has since said they did an interview about seven months after he passed away. They're still figuring out you know, what's going to happen from here. Yeah. I saw them um, say, still, like, you know, they yeah. kind of feel like they should carry on in his memory, but they have no idea what that will, what form that will take at the moment, which, you know, I think is probably the most honest answer you can give really, isn't it? For sure. And, and, you know, when you see the outpouring of support, when Riley passed away from just people all over the music landscape, like clearly he was a guy that was really well liked, you know, people, really thought that power trip was, was becoming one of those bands that was just really rising to the top. And so it's just tragic. I mean, and, and clearly if you read a lot of the stuff about him, like he, he suffered with mental health issues, um, clearly su- suffered with substance abuse issues and all, just a sad story. We, sh- we should emphasize that I'm pretty sure I read that the, the official verdict is that it was an accidental overdose. You know, it was that it wasn't. There's no evidence that it, he was trying to end his life. Um, right. You know that this was an accident, even though, as you say, yes, he was documented to have had these, you know, issues. But there was no suggestion. There doesn't appear to be any suggestion anyway that he deliberately took his own life. That this was an accident, which is even just. I mean, in a way, that's even more fucking tragic. Absolutely, a hundred percent. Yeah. It just um, as you say, what a waste. What a what a loss because um yeah i i didn't i probably didn't read as extensively as you but i I read one or two interviews and i saw some um youtube videos as well including there was you know the amoeba records what's in your bag series well the band were on that um and obviously those are sort of you know they're very lightweight those things but i find them quite interesting because they're obviously all about things like music tastes and stuff and what really interested me about this band was that almost none of them picked like many metal albums Yep. Uh, like the bassist is a country guy, the rhythm guitarist and the lead guitarist were both into sort of obscure British indie and pop. Uh, Riley picked a couple of soul albums as well as uh, a bolt thrower album. And it was only the drummer who was like, yeah, so this is an obscure import of a six track black metal demo from 10 <laughs> years ago. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay, that's the metal guy. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, it was, it was quite interesting to see that they were all just really chill kind of like oh yeah i love this old soul album and and stuff um and then yeah you hear the record and you're like holy shit <laughs> i'm not sure they're taking much mal green here but who knows <laughs> right yeah yeah and again it's just uh i mean not to start on a huge downer obviously because we're celebrating the, you know this album today as we talk about it but it is uh 
You're right, but you can't you can't ignore it. Thirty four yeah, years is, old, man. Yeah, I know, I know. Just brutal. At thirty four, I feel like I'd barely started. You know. Um, oh my well, god! I, I didn't even know who like, I was at thirty. I don't know who I am at forty seven. But right. <laughs> well, and at it sounded like they definitely didn't know. They'd barely started as well. You know. Yes, they'd had success and the band had been around for a while and stuff. But as you say, you know, all indications are that they were that whatever their next album was would be assuming that it was, you know, along the same lines and stuff, you know, uh, that it would be the big breakthrough. That would be the one that would, you know, commercially put them over the top. Um, and yeah, to sort of, I mean, you know, the, the, the cruel irony is that whatever they put out next actually probably will be really commercially successful because of Riley's death. Um, you know, which are really not the circumstances that you, under which you want to have commercial success. Uh, but it certainly sounds like if that had not happened, they still would have had, yeah, commercial success with whatever they do next because of the anticipation based on these first two albums. It's, uh, yeah, again, what a tragedy. Yes. So having, you know, started having kind of talked about that piece of it, obviously, uh, they do have the two full length albums that are out. They actually put out a compilation album of different singles and extra tracks and stuff called Opening Fire that came out in uh, 2018. They also put out a live album from a May 2018 Seattle concert. And again, I don't know if that's what where the live version of uh, Executioner's Tax mm-hmm. came from or not, but they were nominated for a Grammy for Does Best the compilation have the early EPs on it as well? Uh, I don't know if it has all of them. Let's take a quick look-see. Uh, album gathers songs that have never appeared on an album. Uh, the album documents their self-titled seven-inch single, The World, uh, This World from uh, a Flat Spot Records compilation. It doesn't look like they are just um, sort of a collection of their EPs. It looks like these are other things that maybe they did for right, other okay. compilations and stuff like that. So you'll like have to go and get the EPs as well, right? I think so. Um, so I guess yeah, you, yeah. you put those together, that's probably three albums worth of material then. Uh, for sure. And and clearly what they were doing before they released that first full length was was building their audience you know with which reminds me of kind of a very early like 80s kind of thing right where you've got your singles that you put out you've got your eps and stuff like that and you start to i mean you think about early metallica um and just like the reputation that they built for a their live performances but b like you know being on different compilations and stuff like that um just the the, there's there's something to that not like word of mouth, but word of mouth is a part of it, right? But where you're getting a little bit from this band, but you have never seen them live, but you hear a song or you hear two songs from them mm-hmm. and you want more of that. And just that sort of momentum that it starts to build up of like, who the hell are these guys? This well, song's freaking awesome. Or you do see them live, but the only thing you can buy is like an EP yes. or something because they haven't put out an album yet. I feel like there is, that's actually more common. It's come round again. There are quite a few recent bands I can think of who have done that sort of, you know, just put out a few singles, put out a few EPs and then release an album uh, in the last sort of 10 or 15 years. And as you say, it went away for a while in the in the era of the, you know, when the CD was king. Yep. Everybody was just get that first album out. That's the most important thing. Um, and now we've kind of because of music streaming and there's no money in, you know, physical record sales and stuff anymore other than like you know, limited edition vinyls or whatever, but 
there certainly aren't the millions and millions that people used to make from putting out a CD. It's swung right. back around again. You know, now everybody makes their money, as we've said before, from live performances and merchandise. Um, I so, feel like Bandcamp has contributed to that too, right? Where it's like, you know, a lot of bands have control over that and are releasing a song or, true. you yeah. know, an EP or something like that. Yeah. Well, and look at people who drop. I mean, this is more common in the pop community, but bands that or artists that drop a single song onto Spotify and make a big deal of it, you know, and sort yeah. of that that's the focus of all their marketing is just one song because, yeah, yeah there's no need to fill an album with songs, well, with filler uh, like they used to be. And, you know, it's I kind of go back and forth on that because on the one hand it means that there's no filler, but on the other hand it means that you have to wait longer and longer between actual albums <laughs> with a lot of bands. And yeah. I'm, I can't help it, you know, because of my age. I'm an album guy. I like listening I, to albums more than just one song. You are preaching to the choir, sir. That is exactly me too. And so I almost prefer like – to go back to the soundtracks discussion that we were having earlier, like I prefer if I'm only going to get one song that it is part of a compilation or it is part of uh, a soundtrack to a movie or something like that, where I, you know, I get to hear that band or something because like you, like one song or even two or three songs isn't, it's not enough for me. Yeah. Like I need. Well, and those soundtrack albums album. were at least thematically linked. So even though right. you were getting different artists, you know, it felt like, not maybe a completely coherent whole, but, you know, somebody had put it together and gone, these tracks will all fit together on this album, uh, as long as you have an open mind. You know, certainly, I mean, things like the Judgment Night soundtrack, which is, you know, a classic that everybody in the 90s who was around in the 90s remembers because everybody had it. And those were a, a whole bunch of diverse artists. And, you know, there was compilation uh, collaborations and crossovers and stuff going on there. But they were all kind of of a piece. And they sounded different, but they all had that, that same theme running through them. So yeah, I, I miss that sometimes about modern stuff, but that's just me being old. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're, we're old guys. Anthony, know, you know? Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to apologize for it. I'm just saying. No, nope. <laughs> absolutely. But I'm self-aware enough. That's all. So the album that we're talking about today, as we mentioned at the top of the show is manifest decimation, which came out on June 11th, 2013 on Southern Lord recordings. It is their first full length album. Uh, Eight songs, just under thirty-five minutes. Yeah, which it is really like it does perfect. not fuck around. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it's like it's absolutely perfect. And just like in general, why I because I'm sure people would wonder why not Nightmare Logic as opposed to Manifest. I, I was going to ask you that very question. Yeah, to me, so I mean, to let's go back to Executioner's Tax. I feel like that song on that album is like head and shoulders above the rest of that album. Not that the rest of the album isn't good, but to me, that song is like immediate. Oh, okay. That's the song on that album. Mm -hmm. This album here, top to bottom, I love it. Top to bottom. I don't, I don't know. I think there is a song on this album that, that hits like Executioner's Tax, and we'll talk about it when we get there. But I feel like top to bottom, I love this album. There's so much. And I also feel it's more punk and it's more crossover. Mm -hmm. than uh nightmare logic i i, I feel like it's I, I can hear the roots more on this album and i really really like that um you can definitely hear the punk crossover on this album i mean that's yeah without question um yeah and to me that's like super appealing and so uh, i feel not I, just it's not just in the sound either in the songwriting as well you can yep. you know it's it's a bit less 
sort of what we think of as regular thrash metal and a bit more punk, but also you can't ignore the sound and the sound of this album is so lo-fi in places. Yes, dude. <laughs> and I love that. I I love it. It reminds me, uh, I, there, to me, there's a lot of uh, Kill em All in this album. There's, mm. But I hear Testament, I hear Exodus, I hear Slayer, um, you know, and then uh, even a little like DRI in there. Like there's there's a lot of good old school roots in here, but I also feel like they're making it their own. And so just that's generally like why I chose this album over the second one is I just, I I hear the roots more on this album. And I also feel like it's a more complete album to me and, and what I like than the second album. Mm. I only listened to nightmare logic a few times, as I say, after, uh, you know, the listeners recommended it. And I've got to be honest, actually that song the you know swing of the axe or whatever it's called actually didn't stand out to me that much um because as i say the whole album was kind of yeah it's all right but it just didn't sort of grab me but i absolutely know what you mean about certain albums where there's just one track that overshadows all the others um white zombies album uh devil music is a great example of that which is like it's a fine album but that's the album that's got Thunderkiss 65 on it. Yeah, and that's right. the only song most, you know, unless you are a real hardcore white zombie fan, that's the only song, you know, off that album. Uh, and it's the, it's, it, it does stand head and shoulders above the rest of the album. So yeah, I, I totally understand what you mean about albums like that. And I think this album, I mean, to me, yeah, it has one or two tracks, which I think are better than the others, but it doesn't have a track like that. Uh, now, is that because there isn't a track that's, you know, absolutely genius, brilliant, or is it just because the bass level of the rest of the album is higher? That's a matter of taste. Um, right. But I agree with you that this album is definitely consistent. Um, there's only one track on here, in my opinion, which is not filler exactly, but just kind of, I could, I could have done without. Um, mm-hmm. But even then, it's not bad. Uh, and yeah, it is overall a very, very consistent album, but the sound does drive me batty in places because it is so, <laughs> there's no need in 2013, really, there was no need, you know, it's a deliberate choice. It has to it's be deliberate. Yes. Yeah. 100%. There's no need for the album to sound this muddy and this sort of cavernous, um, especially with the, the Riley's vocals, Jesus Christ, there's, you know, yeah doesn't matter how cheap your recording setup was in 2013 you didn't have to sound like this and so it has to have been yeah a very deliberate choice and presumably presumably in homage to their roots and as you say those sort of you know the punk crossover albums and stuff which they clearly an artist which they clearly have a great admiration for you know what's crazy is that is one of my favorite things about this album is is how in the background, some of the vocals are. Mm. And because, because his style of vocals is not my, that's not my like go-to, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, but the way that it's almost kind of muted in the production of this and the guitars are so far up front, um, you know, in, in the mix here, I like that balance because I think if his vocals were way out front, I would like them less. Right. I, like I, because to me, like I still get the aggression that he's coming across with. And, uh, as opposed to something like, um, 
uh, gate creeper, right? When we listen to gate creeper, mm-hmm. like I feel like the vocals are right up at the front of that yeah, um, yeah. sound. And that's, uh, to me, it becomes a little bit grating after a while where here the music is first, his vocals and their gang vocals as well are punching. You know what I mean? They're mm-hmm. they're but the music is leading and I think I prefer that. I mean the own, the guitars are the one thing that sound modern sound-wise on this album. Like that mm-hmm. the guitar tone and the the distortion on them is very modern and it kind of has to be for some of the things that they're doing musically uh because it would just it wouldn't work or it would be a horrible muddy mess otherwise. Yeah. Um but I mainly just feel bad for the drummer because he's clearly really, really, really good, but you can barely make anything out other than like the snare and the cymbals. You know, the the drumming is on this album is almost not that it's inaudible, but if anything, that's the problem. It's too audible and it's swamped in echo and reverb and stuff. Um, and, you know, I, I know he's no uh he's not one of those guys with a 10,000 piece drum kit who's doing fills yeah. every 5 seconds but still when he does do something other than just a straight you know straight four beat you can barely make out what he's doing um so yeah i just feel a bit Now you're for making him. me wonder if i just like <laughs> bad production because i also like uh, in you cross megadeth off your bingo cards for this one but like in killing is my business that's my favorite megadeth album which is by far the you know Worst produced. <laughs> the worst produced, uh, you know, uh, again, like Kill Em All. And and, uh, and I feel like elements of Ride the Lightning are, from a sound standpoint, not, uh, not no, the best No, although either. Ride the Lightning is nowhere near as muddy as, as Kill Em All. Um, For sure, yeah. But, I mean, again, it but, has yeah, to... But it's that echoey, it's that, like, reverby, um, you know, yeah, like it's we, just we recorded reverb, this in yeah. a really big room, sort of. Yeah, you with, know, with uh, three microphones. Yes, uh, dude. You know, I rather guess than the twenty I really that you like that. Use. I don't know, <laughs> but I guess... the thing is, like I say, it's got to be a choice. You know, it, it's yeah. because this is such a relatively recent album. You know, it's obviously a deliberate sound that they were going for. So I respect that that it is what they wanted to sound like because there's absolutely no reason that they had to sound like this, even with zero budget. Uh, it's just, as I say, there are occasions, there are some songs where it draws me a bit nuts. <laughs> well, and uh, big shout out to the drummer, though, Chris Ulsh. Uh, he wrote one of the best riffs on this album, which we'll talk about when we Oh, interesting. Does he play one. guitar as well? I, di- I didn't. I guess so. I, didn't I just read that. in right, one of the right. interviews that uh, they were going to have him. I think they were talking about having him write some more stuff because he, he had written uh, a killer riff for this oh, cool. particular song. Uh, so well, and of he's the black metal guy. So uh, yes, you know, well there you yeah. go. And maybe he thought, you know, if my drums are are not going to be, you know, up in the mix here, then I have to, you know, I have to bring contribute in other ways. Yeah, which I feel like was it Warbringer that when we were listening to the the drummer had written oh, some of yeah, the best yeah. riffs on the album. I think so. Um, of course, obviously Riley Gale on vocals here, but Blake Ibanez on lead guitar, Nick Stewart on rhythm guitar, Chris Wetzel on bass, and Chris Ulsh on drums for this particular album, which was their their longtime lineup. There was um, their there was original, a, an original drummer. drummer, I think. Yeah, but other than that, it really yes. hasn't changed, has it? Right. Marcus Johnson, uh, 2008, 2009. Um, drummer and then chris alsh 2009 on forward so for for all their major releases and even their eps and everything it was chris alsh 
So, yeah. Um, you want to get into the tracks? I think we should, shouldn't we? Uh, Perfect. Yeah, let's get on to the album then. So track one is Manifest Decimation. Manifest Decimation at 4 minutes and 33 seconds. One of the longer songs on this album, I think uh, there's two uh, that are longer than this. But just to give you an idea of like the average uh, song length, we mentioned that the album is about 35 minutes long. So (laughs) (laughs) there's not a lot of uh, you kind of get like the horror movie opening with a little bit of like synths in the in the background here on this first song. And then to me, it's very Metallica hit the lights uh, on this first song. Yeah. The riff and a scream to sort of bring you in after that uh, intro. Yeah. It's, it's, it's one of those, it's one of those openers that definitely tells you what you're in for with the rest of the album. Agreed. Um, You know, if you're not into this track, you are not going to like the rest of it. Yeah. And I feel like, um, it's just a great example of what you're talking about, right? Like it gives you everything that you're getting for the album, including from a lyrical standpoint, because this, this manifest decimation is talking about manifest destiny. It's talking about, um, under the great boot, uh, under the boot of great oppression, a dark figure conquers us manifest decimation when all hope is crushed. And it, it, that kind of sets the tone for a lot of what you're going to see lyrically, this idea of, uh, keeping people down of the systems that that hold us down and uh, of trying to break those systems down and um so you, you kind of get that you get where riley's coming from lyrically right out of the gate you get this very sort of thrashy opening to the song and then at three minute and 50 seconds you get just the circle pits start going <laughs> like i think i think that's the other thing you get on this first song is you start to get a picture of what it would be like to see this band live. And you can really see how their music is built for crowd participation. 
And that it's, I don't want to say it's rare for that to come across on an album, but I also feel like these guys are really good at that. And it does come across on that album. And that's my favorite with crossover and, and with like, you know, classic thrash. Like I always refer to it as the mosh part. Like when do we get to the mosh part of the song, you know, and boy, when we get to the mosh part here, like this, and and this is also an indication of what you're getting on the rest of this album because there's some freaking great mosh riffs on this album and breakdowns, and it's just like so. Yeah, it goes from very thrashy to like brutal crushing, and as that riff is going and they're sort of chugging along, they do like in the second loop through this kind of galloping chug. Uh, Thing, which I really it just adds a little bit of flair to what they're doing but yeah this to me is a fantastic opening song it's not it, anywhere near the best song in the album I don't think but it sets the tone it really does yeah I, I, I actually would say I could tell that this was kind of written for live I think you I think you can tell that it definitely comes across. And part of the reason is things like the, yeah, these like halftime chugging coders, which are on several songs. They do it quite a bit. Yep. Um, I actually don't think this is one of the better ones. The, the coder, I mean it, cause it doesn't, it doesn't do a lot. It's just sort of there. Uh, I mean, you know, it's not often that you'll hear me of all people saying, I wish there was a guitar solo here, but, <laughs> but I kind of do, um, because it doesn't go anywhere. It doesn't take the song anywhere, but, yeah, as a, as I was listening to the album more and more and coming to those parts, I was like, yeah, this is this is for live. This is the simplicity of these. I think is deliberate uh, because that goes down better live. Obviously, you know, especially with an audience who might not be familiar with your songs. You know, if you're coming to, if half the audience have never seen you before, you don't want to get too fancy and complex. Uh, you know, you sort of, especially for a band like this, you want to appeal on a more gut level, and that means keeping things simple. I'm always reminded of um, uh, Prodigy, <laughs> not a comparison. I'm sure most people expected me to make, but uh, when Prodigy did Fatter the Land, which is the album that's got things like Firestarter and Breathe on it, you know, it's it's yeah. the album that everybody knows. Um, those songs are way simpler, way simpler. Uh, than anything that they'd done before. You know, previously they were known as being a very sort of hardcore techno, you know, quite long, complex songs kind of electronic band. Uh, and then Fat of the Land came out and they're absolutely not that. They are more like sort of simple rock anthems. And they said, well, we just wanted to do stuff that would sound better live because we, you know, we perform live a lot now. Um, and they're absolutely right. Of course, you know, it was the most successful album they ever did. And it was enormously, uh, you know, everything went down. Every single song on that album went down really well live because of that simplicity. So I think you can tell that from this album, that these are songs that they have clearly, you know, honed playing live and they know that they work. Um, and as you say, the breakdowns and the the sort of chugging codes and stuff are absolutely a part of that. And I think maybe also the, one of the things I quite like about this album is the paucity of lyrics on some of the songs, including yeah. this one. It has v- almost no lyrics, um, which kind of makes a nice change in a way from some of the, 
you know, we've done some some bands on this, you know, recent and older bands, admittedly, on this show where there's so many lyrics in each song. You're just like, Christ almighty, put a sock in it, you know? Well, um, and especially for a band that where, you know, the singer through the lyrics is really passionate about delivering a message, he's delivering a message. Right. But he's not like he's not it's not that thing where like so many people who are trying to deliver a message over explain themselves right and there are no wasted words exactly and there i forget i had it i just had it up a few minutes ago in a tab but there was a um there was an interview and i don't know if it was riley or not but someone from the band was talking about how like their their goal is like not to waste a syllable in oh yeah no i saw that one that was riley yeah yeah, yeah. I, I read that quote as well where he's like every word is you know i go over every word like 10 times and every word relates to the line it's in and every line relates to the verse and yeah that he puts a lot of work in to make sure that he's as concise as he can be and i think which that is uh, almost counterintuitive because when you when you are really passionate about something you tend to over explain it mm. and so being so invested in wanting to send a clear message and being able to be efficient with it is, I think, a true talent. Yeah. I was just thinking, Exhibit A, this podcast. Two blowhards who over Go on for hours and hours. Yeah, talk for five and seven minutes about every single song, right? Yeah, I mean, it's it's so basically like everything that this podcast stands for is the opposite of that. So... Yeah, talking about something you're passionate about ad nauseum. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. I, well, I think this is going to be the last episode of Thrash It Out. So uh, now that we we just had our epiphany, <laughs> it was like, wait a second. Uh, the scales so, have fallen from our eyes. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, that's too funny. Well, that's as good a place as any to move on then. <laughs> Track two, Heretic's Fork. The first song made me think of Metallica, early Metallica. Then this song definitely brought the Slayer. Yes. In tone, in riffage. Um, yeah. I mean, just like, and so right right off the bat, like if you hit me with early Metallica and your counterpunch is uh, early Slayer, we're off to a really good start here. And, um, you know, this, this to me kind of locks in the feel that you're going to have for the rest of the album. And much like the first song, you know, here, when we hit 
two minutes and 30 seconds, just uh, riffage that is truly worthy of a comparison to Slayer. Um, just an absolutely crushing killer riff here. The, the lyrics here, um, talking about uh, history's trapped in illusion, who sees through who, for every mindless vision of who owns the truth, for everyone who spoke out, thousands were slain. Torture, torture, and bloodshed in the sake of some holy name, and again, just religious oppression, um, you know, persecution, and kind of breaking that down and calling it out. I think is mm-hmm. is very much in the same vein as the tone and lyrics that you got in the first song as well. Yeah, although I must admit, I have no idea what a heretic's fork is. It's such a strange, such an incongruous image. <laughs> <laughs> that I was just like fork, really, but I don't know. Maybe it's a term of art, or maybe it was just a. a you know, I'm searching it because I, I a nice have bit of a imagery that came specific... to mind. I don't know. Well, I did wonder if it's like a medieval torture device or something. It is exactly that. Oh, okay. Yep. There you go. Right. And it okay. and uh, it looks like it has. It's like a neck collar with two prongs at the top of it and two prongs at the bottom of it. That if you put your head down you're pierced by it it hence so. impaled in the neck pierced through the yep. heart yeah mm-hmm. yeah um yeah i i the slayer comparison is absolutely apt i think for this one um and in the solos as well i actually made a note on, Agreed. Another, on another song but the solos throughout this album really remind me of slayer because they're just that sort of high-pitched chaos <laughs> which we've yes, talked about like before. like we've, like i'm this is the first time i'm playing this right now yeah yeah uh, yeah a hundred percent dude yeah but i'm also going to do it at breakneck speed <laughs> <laughs> yes and um, not like overly long right no I mean, exactly they're, yeah, they're, yeah. they're like just long enough to not be considered fills but also not like true not what we normally think of as solos. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Not yeah. what we would normally expect for, like for solos. Four, four bars of breakneck speed, high-pitched chaos, and that's your lot. There you go. Done and out. Um, yeah. No, I, I like this one. I think it's a good it's a good chorus, actually. Uh, yeah, some great lyrics. The, the the sort of speed of it is really nice after the first... Because, I mean, the first track is no slouch, but then right. getting like a really proper speed metal style riff uh, in the second one is is great. Um, and I think the 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 halftime chug here works a lot better than in track one because they do do something with it. I said in you know the first track that I was disappointed that they don't use it to take the song anywhere, but in this one I feel they do. Like the riff itself has some variety to it. There are some lyrics over it, and it just kind of feels that it it's part of the journey of the song. It just feels more part of the whole to me. It's also just a fucking killer riff that breakdown. Um, oh my god it's, it's so good dude yeah like, really good i mean that that's like rain and blood south of heaven you know oh, i don't know whether type. i put it quite on that level. it hit me the first the first time i listed i was like oh shit this is this is killer <laughs> because i consider like of the big four slayer is the best at that slayer, oh yes yeah, slayer yeah, no question when, when it comes to writing that killer breakdown riff like that they even if the rest of the song didn't even come close to to that you know moment in the song i feel like they were the kings of that and so uh whenever i hear a great one it just makes me think of slayer immediately so yeah i think slayer would be proud of this song <laughs> i really like the um 
industrial sounds at the end as well that lead into the next track because again this album does sound pretty fucking retro you know yes, it's like and there's 100%. no there's no getting away from that it really does sound quite retro and yet they have these industrial textures in places uh weaving through parts of the album which is yeah just nice because you don't expect it um so i like that and it leads us to track three conditioned to death song uh talking about the prison system uh this song to me feels more punk-ish um and more yeah. sort of crossover than thrashy where where the first couple songs i feel like were more were definitely more in the thrash realm um three minutes 22 seconds so it's about average for uh most of the songs on this album this uh some of the stuff that Riley Gale would talk about was informed by Michael Foucault, who was a French philosopher, and his theories were about power and knowledge and how they're used as a form of like control through mm-hmm. institutions. And so this was definitely a song where he's talking about what being in prison does to people. And if you look at the lyrics, conditioned, committed, defeat the mind and the body falls disallow life to the point of death desecration torture of the soul like pretty 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 clear and and pretty bleak picture and pretty clear about you know his his thoughts on the prison system in this country and so again you know we've got these same kind of themes that are running through the different songs but we're getting kind of a little bit of different flavor each one and this one feels a little more kind of punkish to me here. Uh, but again, like not, not a ton of um, lyrics here. I mean, you've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. I'm basically no, like several 10. of them are repeated as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you've got like ten lines in the whole song, um, right? And three of them are, you know, are repeats. It's yep. yeah. <laughs> There's not a huge amount lyrically going on, but again, what there is is clear, good. You know, it's concise. It says everything that it needs to, I guess. Um, yet there's not really a lot else to say about this song, is there? It's, as you say, it is definitely on the punkish side, showing the, those sorts of influences and those roots. Um, it's fast. It's heavy. Uh, the one musical thing about it that I find a bit odd is they go into this weird sort of single time riff 
after each chorus. Uh, yeah. I mean, if you can even call them a chorus. Like, the, the song has some half-time bits and lots of double-time bits, and now there's a single-time bit. And I'm just... <laughs> I can never quite wrap my head around whether it works or not. I mean, I've listened to this album quite a bit now, and I'm yep. still not sure whether or not I actually like that bit. I don't know. <laughs> but overall, it's... Yeah, it's a pretty good song because it's, you know, it's in, out, fast, to the point, and, yeah, doesn't doesn't waste your time. Well, and I feel like this song, it, definitely not kind of my favorite on the album, and I, I wouldn't call it filler because I do like this album top to bottom, but of the first three songs, like this this one, this one I am carried through by the lyrics as opposed right, to right. the music. I, um, I definitely and, wouldn't and the call it filler. This isn't, this isn't the track that I sort of think... Yeah, you know, oh, I can't is, wait to hear what one that is for you. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I, I think this track belongs on the album, and I, I like the fact that we have like a short, sharp, you know, punkish track after the first two, which are much more kind of, I mean, they don't sound like traditional thrash, but they're much more in that vein. Whereas this one, as you say, leans more towards the punk side. So I, I think it belongs. I think it helps balance things out. Um, there's just, yeah, not a lot to say about it from my point of view, I guess. Uh, let's see if there's more to say about track four, Murderer's Row. Yeah, there is because this song is freaking <laughs> awesome um we're entering to me the heart of this album now and we open up with a quote from robocop 2 um, oh is that you, where it's if, from if you were wondering <sighs> if the song is about uh, to me this song is about the police and so uh yes robocop 2 is where the opening quote uh you know sample uh comes from there but this riff to me is very exodus like toxic waltz style riff here um and, and to, to, like this is where i would almost separate like mosh from slam dance this feels like a slam dance riff to me um i freaking love it i love the riff in this song and to me uh, the theme that he's writing about is is the the police yeah but i could be way off on that no no, no I'm, I'm with you i actually i couldn't tell where that quote's from i listened to it and i kept going where is that from it's the uh, kid from robocop 2 right I, i've seen robocop 2 maybe like one and a half times mm. so you know <laughs> I, I i don't think that this uh reference should um hasten a rewatch of yeah. that movie let me just put that <laughs> yeah. out there right there a robocop just one. watch the first one over again if you want right robocop one i've seen maybe a dozen times great oh, for sure yeah robocop 2 not so much um yeah. but i think you're absolutely spot on with what 
it's about, you know, is what the lyrics are referencing. I mean, the line, man into machine, self-imposed destroyer of man is oh, kind dude. of, you know, a giveaway. And right before that, have we entered the valley into the uncanny, met with a cold gaze, struck with a colder hand? Yeah, it's like, uh, as I say, yeah, good I stuff, it's, dude. Yeah, like, it's he's like, that, and, and that's the thing, is like, I, I truly appreciate some of the lyrics that he's putting together for these songs. And then when you pair that with just classic, you know, musically to me, right. Musically, this is a really solid song for me. Uh, you've got the, I love the, the climbing slightly atonal chord progression in the intro. I think that's really nice. That main riff is just, it is a hundred percent Metallica. Like that, that riff belongs on master of puppets. It is so Metallica. It's ridiculous. I hear Exodus with that, that I hear like really exodus with that and maybe it's uh, obviously kirk hammett started in exodus but uh i'm to me it's like uh I just, riff. as soon as i heard it i was like that sounds like i i can just picture you know hetfield on stage playing that or something and i don't mean that i mean that as a compliment i don't mean that disparagingly sure. at all it's, yeah it absolutely is, uh, it sounds just purely like a metallica riff um, and how about like the train whistle it, it, like sound that and maybe that goes back to the industrial kind of influence that you were talking about earlier like in the background it almost sounds like a train whistle to me yeah i'm not sure what that is uh it could just be a sort of an effect on a guitar yeah uh you know doing a whammy of some kind or war or something um i like the solo on this one this is another sort of slayer style chaotic solo uh the chorus is pretty chaotic too the whole song is kind of musically chaotic and i do I think it works on this one. I, I quite like it. Um, oh, the great like gang vocals on this one too. And it's, it, yeah, yeah. I just like, they, the, they sound like they're across the hall from him when they, yeah. <laughs> when they sort of, uh, you know, respond. And I, it's very early I like that effect. Yes, dude. And I, I, that's actually a great point because I kept looking for the anthrax, uh, you know, influence in the riffs, but it's really more in stuff like that because, you know, especially anthrax is hardcore early roots too. Like there's definitely and biohazard and stuff like that. Like that's all in the mix here. And I think, I think where it comes through, I think the riffs generally are much more here are much more sort of metallic not necessarily think, all I, metallica but you know much yep, more i metal. think metallica exodus testament but, are the, right, the ones I, I that i come to mind yeah more so than biohazard or early anthrax which was more of that sort of hardcore feel and they got more metal obviously as they went along um yep. whereas these i feel are more on the metal side but yeah i i think that's clearly an influence there i like the um there's a sort of almost like a false ending here after the second chorus as well which i think is quite nice just because because you, 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 well, we've had the solo, and now yep. we've had another chorus after the solo. So surely this must be the end. But nope, here comes another solo. <laughs> We're yep. just going to keep going. Um, we also get a good rage scream in this one, and he does yes. that uh, on certain songs really, really uh, well. I think well timed. Yeah, uh, and then it ends with you know they return to that climbing chord that I talked about at the, at the opening. Uh, you know, to sort of bring it all back around. And I was waiting for that all along because it doesn't appear anywhere else in the song. It's it's mm-hmm. in the intro and then the rest of the song plays. And I was like, are they going to go back to that? And and they did. So I, I was waiting for that. I felt very satisfied that they had uh, squared the circle, as it were, in that way. So thank you. 
<laughs> that my ears thank the band for uh, for doing that because I was I was expecting it and waiting for it. But yeah, yeah. I, I like this one. It's uh, one of the strongest songs. I mean, it's not you can't really call it side one and side two in an album like this. God knows where the break would be, but of the first few songs, I think it's one of the strongest. I agree. I think I think we've you know it's a nice build to this point, and and even though I think three. Uh, it's not not even a letdown, but I, this one I feel like you're like okay, strong. Now we've that. really yeah. solidified this album for sure. Yeah. All right. Well, let's move on to uh, what is possibly the heart of the album. Then with track five, Crossbreaker. It's the heart of the album. This song is the crown jewel of this album for me. It is a perfect song in in my mind. Like the this one has a very Exodus feel for me too, but also like with an overkill attitude. Like Crossbreaker. Holy shit, dude. This song This is the riff by the way that the drummer wrote. Chris Ulsh. Oh, really? Interesting. I mean, you get the most present bass, I feel like, you have on the whole album with this song. That little, like, bend to the bass line Mm -hmm. on this song is chef's kiss. Like, so good. And the riff itself is just... I, I mean, this is another song that makes me think, like, Holy shit, if this song, if I was there when this song was played live, just mayhem, just absolute mayhem on the floor when this song comes up. It is, it is that song. Like it is crushing. The riff is perfect. It's got a great bass line. It's heavy as shit. And then when they get to the part where, they're sort of chugging along and then like underneath that there's another layer of the guitars kind of going on underneath them that just it creates this awesome atmosphere like this song has i love everything about it well mark your cards uh you know make a note of the time uh and where you were because i agree with you this is my favorite track on the album so good dude it's got that lovely you know bass by himself at the beginning and as you say, nice, good bass riff as well. Uh, oh, so good. The main riff is great. Uh, it's a good shout-along chorus. Oh, uh, crossbreaker! Come on, yeah. You, I mean, so you, you know that I'm a sucker for stop-start riffs as well. Yes, um, and they do that too. And they do, yeah, yeah. Um, 
But this is also, this is uh, the perfect example of what I talked about earlier about the guitar tone kind of given away that this isn't an old album because th- that when they hit the chord and let it ring, that goes for oh. five seconds, dude. Bro, you, that- you couldn't have done that in the 80s. I mean, it just wouldn't, <laughs> you know, you couldn't get a guitar tone that sounded that good for five seconds. It just wouldn't, you know, wouldn't happen. It'd deteriorate. Um, so that's kind of, you know, bit of a giveaway. But yeah, it's great. It's the funny thing is about this track, it's the most immediate track on the album, I think. And partly that's because of that shouted chorus, you know, the shout along chorus. It is yep. absolutely the track that the first time I listened through, this was the one that sort of made my ears go, oh, that's quite catchy. That's quite good. Um, but the funny thing about it is that often when you get a song like that on an album, the ones that you sort of first latch onto, they're often the ones that you then get tired of the more you listen to them uh, because you move, you know, because they are so immediate and simple that you kind of get a bit bored and you move on to the more complex songs. But that isn't the case here. This is still, you know, the, the catchiest song and my favorite on the album. And it is and it's actually- because of those things that you mentioned. It's because of like the pause. It's because of, you know, at two fifty six when you get the, when they're, when they're just like kind of doing that, uh, galloping riffage and underneath it you hear them kind of hitting the open chords and exactly creating like it's the layers and so to your point the first time you listen through the riff catches you and you're like oh shit this is great and then the next time a little bit more of the layers and a little bit more of the layers and that's the kind of stuff where even though the production on this album is as we mentioned a choice to make it sound really kind of retro there's layers to a lot of these songs that there's some really great kind of atmosphere building stuff going on on these songs. And it's more technical than first glance yeah. would suggest for sure. That's what I was going to say was that I think the reason that it sustains interest is because it is actually much more complex than you first realize, you know, than it first sounds. Uh, the structure and the instrumentation of it, yeah, is more complex than it first appears. Uh, and so, yeah, yeah I, as I say, I still really like it. It was my favorite song when I first heard the album. It's still my favorite song now. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's, and I think this is the perfect place for it in the album, right in the center of the album. Is, oh, for uh, sure. Even though, I mean, five of eight obviously is not the center, but, you know, the first four tracks are shorter or feel like they are anyway than the last few. So uh, in terms of, time in terms of you know sort of when it appears as you're listening to the whole album it's absolutely smack bang in the center and uh yeah i feel like it it belongs there and just the way he delivers the lines in this song like are you caught up in the storm or do you watch the rain pour like just the way that he delivers those lines to me is like so great the way like much like they do with some of the ways that they're hitting those chords the way that the lyrics are allowed to like settle in yeah you know like it's just really 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 good stuff dude i love this song and this is the song that i would say lives up to um and and most definitely for you because you said you weren't that huge of a fan of it but executioner's tax on nightmare logic like if you're looking for that jump out song of like holy shit like this is the song i would point to on this album like i would someone who i wanted to get into this album i'd be like listen to this song and then like boom so I agree, 
but I said there were two, I thought, songs that really kind of stood above the others. And so let's move on to track six, Drown. Because for me, this is the second best track on the album. And I suspect that's probably not an opinion shared by you or maybe most people. But there's something about this song that, I don't know, that really appeals to me. I like the, I mean, it starts with a halftime riff. That's pretty bold and yep. makes you immediately think, oh, here comes the dirge. This is, this is the dirge track. Um, but it only does that for one verse, you know, and then you, it comes in with the double time Riff. Yeah, about a minute and 30 in, it picks up the pace. Yeah, uh, but right, but that first minute and 30 is long yep. enough that certainly for somebody like me who likes a bit of dirge, you know, that's enough to pique my interest. But for then sure. when it does speed up, it's so intense and it feels, in a way, this feels like a final track. There is something you know about that, that combination of the sort of ominous slow dirge and then the fast sections and the lyrical rhythm as well that just makes me think of final track. And I, I would actually have swapped. I would put this as the final track on the album. If I was putting this track list together, uh, I feel like you could do that. And hammer of doubt could come to this spot. Yeah. I mean, I understand why too. hammer of doubt is at the end. I, sure. I, do, I do understand why they put it there, but I think you could swap them around. And the, the, the even the solo feels apocalyptic, you know, uh yeah, yeah it's just this song this is this is one that grew on me this is one that i didn't really pay attention to the first few times i heard the album and then the more i listened to it this song just kept sort of standing higher and higher above the others you know and sort of uh appealing to me well and they yeah. also do that thing at like three and a half minutes in where you've got those layers of guitars Right. Yeah. And it's kind of building that atmosphere sort of thing. And I do that to me is the part where the the one that grows on you is like the more listens you get to it, the more how they've put this, these pieces together really starts to shine through. Um, also has some, some great lyrics in this one. Uh, you worship at the altar of a shepherd, not worthy of his sheep. That's, yeah, that's, that's good. a good line. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good line right there. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, and this is one, one of the child's longer songs cry on the album. and millions die as well. That's yep. that's good. Good stuff. Yeah, I would uh, to your point about whether we would agree on that. Like I I wouldn't 
put it up there as like my second favorite song on the album. So I do think we're in a little bit of disagreement there, but I do definitely agree with the idea that it grows on you the more you listen to it. Cause that mm. was the case for me too. Also, uh, maybe you got this as well, or maybe this is just me, but <clears throat> as the guitars ring out at the end, I keep want, I keep expecting to hear acoustic Testament style guitars fading in. <laughs> yes. Which we track. get a little bit on the last song. Uh, but yeah, I, I can I can totally I can totally see that. But yeah. funny you mentioned testament because I to me there's testament coming up. Oh really? Okay. Yeah. All right. Well then let's move on to track seven, power trip. This is the one for me feels like a this opening riff feels very testament to me um yeah, right right it's tight it's you know it's not that it doesn't have that that um you know great tone to it and everything but it definitely feels uh, a little more technical on this one it's got that kind of razor blade feel to it and it just feels very much like a testament riff to me um this song again i feel like it, it clearly the name of the song is power trip so you know it's got to be a song that resonates live with their audience. If it's the song that your band is kind of uh, the self-titled song, great, like call and response gang vocals on this one, which really, that's one of my favorite things on this album is, is that stuff. Mm -hmm. And so I really, you know, we ride as one, we're ruled by none. Just the kind of call and response stuff. There lies your life, your mind, not mine. Just like throw your fists in the air circle pits everywhere like calling back and forth to the band uh, you know in the live performance sort of thing like it just just feels like a great live song i so this is the track that i feel kind of lets the album down a bit <laughs> oh interesting i kind i wish i liked it more given that it's their eponymous song as you say you kind of yeah. you know surely this is the one that everybody goes nuts for live but it feels a bit rote to me like it's one of those songs that it doesn't do anything that isn't already done better by other songs on the album maybe but, the maybe the call and response chorus maybe that's you know the one thing it does that yeah that, that isn't quite you know done as well on any other songs but it is done in other songs um I could be completely talking out of my ass here, but just follow me on this one. Right. I feel like this song, because I don't know the, the the early history of the band and the singles that they put out and stuff like that really well, but 
the song that your band shares the name with, I would assume is a song that's been around for a long time for your band. And so to me, this could also be a song that was one of their earliest songs. And on their first full length album, they're going to include the song oh, I see that they share the name with. So to, it, That's and it possible. feels like yeah. a song that was conceived for live performances, right? I, I mean, yeah, we were talking about that earlier, and I think this is – that's what I was going to say, was I'm sure that live, it absolutely kicks ass. I have no doubt whatsoever yeah. that this is an amazing track live because of all the – for all the reasons that you gave. Uh, and as you say, maybe also because it's been in their set for years and years and years. But here on the album, it you know, unfortunately for me, it feels like a bit of a – a bit of a letdown as a result. But yeah, I, I have no doubt that live, it would be amazing. Yeah, I, I dig this song. Um, definitely for all the reasons I mentioned, you know, the, the, the riff, the, the breakdown in the song, I think is great too. The gang vocals here, like it kind of has all the elements that I really like. And I, I see it in my head as live when I'm listening to this song. So, sure. uh, Definitely dig this one. All right. Well, let's get on to the last track then. Track eight, The Hammer of Doubt. Yes, by far the longest song on the album at six minutes and twenty six seconds. Even though, although to be fair, the there's last, a little bit yeah, padding. Sixty uh, seconds of that at the end is just yes. sort of like ambient noodling. <laughs> but even still, five and a half minutes is would that's still, still long make it, for this I think band, the yeah, longest yeah. song on the album, right? Yeah. I think so. Yeah, or certainly up there. Um, the quote that you hear from the beginning is from the movie Blood Simple, the nineteen eighty four Coen Brothers movie. Oh, of course, yes, yes. Um, now that you say it, yeah, yeah. And the takeaway from that is uh, the the line where he says, "You know, this is Texas, and down here you're on your own." Mm. Um, them, of course, being a Texas uh, based band. Uh, the kind of flatline over the speed riff, the flatline sound effect there. Uh, you know, and the speed riff together. This song to me is a classic thrasher. It's, you know, straight ahead. I feel like when you bring this full circle to the first song in the album, then it is a, a great finisher for this album. Um, and yeah, I mean, to, to me, like, unless I'm reading this song too literally, this song feels very much about mental health. Um, yeah. To me, you know, I, the line that jumped out at me is on your path to progress. I'll be the only thing standing in your way. Yeah. Yeah. And he's talking about doubt. Yeah. I, I think, uh, I, I think it's one of those where the most obvious reading is the correct reading, yeah. uh, you know, because it just seems so clear. Um, yeah. I think this is, I'm pretty sure this is the fastest track on the album. Uh, I would agree with I, I you. I think it's the fastest beat. Um, 
Which is why I said earlier, I can understand why it's the last track on the album. I totally get that you would want to put your fastest track either at the start or the end. You know, it's going to be one of the two. Sure. Um, and, and it does. So it serves the role well in that sense. I still think it would have been better <laughs> to swap it with Drown. But as I say, I totally understand why it's there. Um, I like the the dissonance of those guitars at the start. That is, mm-hmm. yeah, that opening is, <laughs> it reminded me of one of my own, like, eight-minute ambient tracks <laughs> with yep. weird distorted stuff. I was like, yeah, I could listen to that for a bit. Um, the halftime coda, I mean, again, they they do it a lot, but they do do something good with this one. This is one of the better ones. Uh, again, you know, sort of turn it into part of the song's journey. Um, yeah. And yeah, and lyrically, it's really strong because it is something that I think, I think anybody who suffers from anxiety or just issues of self-confidence is going to be able to relate to these lyrics. I think they're very well written, very plainly put, but also well put. Um, yep. Yeah, it, it's, you know, it is strong. Um, and yeah, that that final minute is just so weird. The the sort of effects, ambient guitar bit, kind of similar to the opening, but not quite the same. You know, it's not as harsh. Um yeah, I don't know. It's a bit of an odd choice. But I, again, I just keep thinking, imagine this coming in at the end of Drown underneath those fading guitars instead, <laughs> instead yep. rather than after the hard stop of this track. Um, but yeah, I really like that suggestion of yours. Like I, like I said, I feel like this is a, a good finisher for the album, but I can totally get on board with your reordering there. Mm. But like I say, I can totally understand why they've put this track at the at the end, and it is it's a worthy closer. I don't want to say it's a bad closer by any means. Uh, you know, it it is a good one and it's worthy because yeah, it's so fast and intense that it, again, kind of rev- you know, the first track tells you what you're in for, the last track reminds you what you just listened to. <laughs> and I think I mean, it, you know, as we kind of get to the end of the song, I, I don't think it can be said enough. This album is 34 minutes and 38 seconds long. And it is a journey. Like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. They go to a lot of different places on this album. This is not; these songs are not carbon copies of one another, and they cover a lot of ground in thirty-four minutes and thirty-eight seconds. You know, we we don't talk a ton about album duration, but I think you either get excited when you see thirty-four minutes and thirty-eight seconds, or you feel like that you know it's not enough and. While I'm certainly a fan of hour-long albums, there, the efficiency with which this band works is really admirable, and they use it to great effect. Uh, well, I think that's the thing, isn't it? It's context. You know, yep. a 35-minute album can be great, or it can be just a bit like, well, is that all? Um, and the same with, yeah, hour long albums, they can be great or they can be like, fucking hell, get on with it, you know? Um, well, and I'll just, just for context, their 2017 album, Nightmare Logic, 32 minutes and 51 seconds. Yeah. <laughs> so it, they, they didn't double the running yeah. time for their next album. They, they, you know, they know what they do and they do it well. But again, that's partly, you know, we talked about the, uh, influence of Slayer, you know, we've said some of Slayer's early albums are really short as well. It's, yep. you know, and we did, uh, Wolverine blues, the entombed album. That's really short. You know, yep. there was, uh, I know that there's one or two albums you've, you've chosen as well uh, in the past. I mean, that have been quite short, nothing wrong with a short album as long as it does it well. 
that's the that's the key. Um, I, 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 because I think like fast aggressive stuff works better when it's shorter. You well, know, like can, there's it a can tendency. do. I mean, it, it depends again. It depends what you're going for. You know, I think it just it's all about context. But I think they they pull it off here. I mean, there are there are aspects of this album that I really like. There are aspects of this album that I am less keen on. Uh, I've already said that I'm not a huge fan of the sort of retro sounding production. That uh-huh. deli- you know, deliberate as it may be, it's just not doesn't appeal to me that much. And I do think some of the songwriting feels a bit undercooked. Um, which considering that they had been around for like five years <laughs> when they recorded this, you know, I feel like, yeah, maybe, you know, could have put a bit more into one or two of those songs, but overall, yeah, I, I did like it. And I think it certainly, it lives up to, as you say, the excitement, uh, that you can feel when you get a really short album, you're like, Oh, Oh, well, this is going to be, you know, this is going to smack me around the face a few times, uh, and then steal all my best silverware and uh, and escape out the window and that's that's exactly what this album does absolutely so i mean overall just to to you know go back to what i said when we started this conversation i top to bottom i really really like this album and it was it was an album that i did not mind first of all at 35 minutes it's an easy album to just run through a listen of you know anytime yeah it's great for your uh it's a great workout album like it's perfect for your you get that cardio in and uh, and throw this album on, but it it rewards repeated listens. Again, it has more layers than it might seem at first glance, and I think it's a really to me when you look at this album, then you look at Nightmare Logic, and again when you look at what they were poised to potentially do with their next album, man, mm. it's just uh, it just really drives home the the tragedy, you know, of, uh, Riley Gale's passing. So I agree. I agree. It's, I I will be genuinely interested to see what they do in the future, assuming that they do carry on, um, and how they decide to tackle that and and what they come out with. Yeah. I'll certainly be keeping an eye on them. Yeah. And, and just, you know, as this was my last pick for this volume. So it certainly felt like power trip was the right pick for me for, my final pick of this volume for sure, but also, you know, uh, to reveal my secret theme for, for this volume, it was really just to bring the thrash and bring the, you know, the, the heavy, heavy metal for this whole volume. And that's what I tried to do with every single one of my picks. So, uh, you know, and when I think in you achieved volumes, that, absolutely. Yeah. It, when in future volumes we're, we're revisiting some of my 80s favorites, I'm going to point people back to this volume and say, like, <laughs> if you if you want to get your fill, uh, I tried to make sure that every pick that I made this volume brought it uh, I w- I from a heavy aspect. Yeah, I was going to say, so does that mean that next volume your theme's basically going to be 80s hair? <laughs> I mean, I don't want to scare anyone away with a whole volume proclamation, but I think there are some people in our listener community that have been waiting for some some good old-fashioned 80s picks, and I think they'll oh, be yes. pleasantly rewarded uh, in the near future. True. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, well, on that note, uh, let me uh say thank you for listening everyone let me remind you again we are doing the encore listener choice episode after the next one so i will open that poll on patreon 
uh, sometime in the next week or two. If you're a patron, keep an eye on your email inbox. Make sure that you do check and receive your your Patreon alerts and emails. Um, if you're not a patron yet, you can go to patreon.com slash thrash it out and make your pledge and help support the show and help keep us going. Uh, and also, yes, then get to join in on things like the listener polls, such as the Encore poll. So go and do that and keep an eye on things. Um, and so what is my final pick of the of this volume? You mentioned, uh, you know, how some of our listeners are anticipating you picking some 80s hair metal and, and what have you and glam metal stuff. And I felt this volume... There have been a few bands we've done which listeners have been anticipating for a while, you know, that kind of we ticked off the last few sort of real no-brainer bands, if you know what I mean. Uh-huh. Uh, like Testament, for example. We've been talking about them for ages and then we did finally do them this volume. Fear Factory, I'd been threatening yep. to do for God knows how long and then we finally did them this volume. And so I'm going to do something similar for my final pick of the volume. And I think... This might be the the last no brainer band that we haven't yet covered. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe maybe there are others that I just don't come to mind at the moment. But I it, I think that this is the last no brainer band that we haven't yet covered. And so next volume, next episode rather, we are going to do Machine Heads album through the ashes of Empires from two thousand three. Oh, I was, okay. I was very tempted to pick Burn My Eyes, but I am trying not to be the sad 90s throwback person every time I pick an album. Um, and so and this is my second favourite. Uh, I mean, Burn My Eyes is a classic, no doubt, but this is my second favourite Machine Head album after Burn My Eyes. Uh, it was a real return to form after a bit of a wobble in the late 90s. Um, so, yeah. Uh, we will talk about it. it's through the ashes of empires it's called it's from 2003 and yeah i think it's the same i think machine head is maybe the last band where everybody's going when the fuck are you gonna cover them <laughs> well i'll tell you right now i am someone who was never really super into machine head so i'm really looking forward to diving into this album oh okay good yeah yeah no i, I like machine head a lot i mean i'll, I'll you know n- no surprise that i am going to be very very positive about this album because <laughs> i like machine head a lot uh so yeah i'll be really interested to hear what you think of it so until then everybody go and listen to machine head keep your eye on your patreon uh email inboxes and what have you for that poll and keep thrashing all right take care everyone <laughs>